You are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko. He's James Rapine. We're joined today by one of my favorite up-and-coming film guys in Bengals Twitter. He's Bengals underscore Sands. Mike, how's it going, man? Thanks for joining us. It's going great. Thank you guys for having me on. We're going to talk a little bit about some scheme stuff, about your your preferred draft selection, because I know you've done a lot of work on Team Sewell, and I know you've got some good reasons behind it with the amount of study you put into what you do. But we'll have plenty of time to get there. We've got some Giovanni Bernard news to talk about as well. Today's episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. James, Mike, let's start with Giovanni Bernard today. The Bengals releasing their long time. And Joe Goodberry wanted me to say starting running back because he's played more snaps than most of their starters. Sub package back, third down back, pass protection back, at times official starter when other guys have been hurt. One of my favorite draft picks in my cognizant Bengals memory. They asked Gio to take a pay cut. He didn't want to take a pay cut. They tried to trade him. Couldn't find a suitor. And ultimately, they've granted him his release. And James, maybe he'll just find his way down to Florida. You've had him going to Tampa this whole time. That's where he should go. That's what he should do. Take a a one-year, even if it's a $1 million deal, $1 million in Tampa is worth more than... The, the $4 million you were going to make for the Bengals because you're catching passes from Tom Brady. And he could put up big numbers uh, in Tampa next year. Uh, certainly a great pass blocker, as we know. So who knows if that happens. But you're right. When you talk about the draft, I think 37th overall in 2013, you think back to where the Bengals were running back-wise, where it's Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis. You had a couple years of Cedric Benson until you, you signed Green Ellis in I remember Joe Goodberry and I went back and forth with the the hashtag RB thirst. You needed a running back. And they brought in Giovanni Bernard, and obviously he was uh, he was electric in the the famous play on Thursday Night Football uh, as during his rookie year. That was one of many many big plays he made. So it's sad, man. It's it's really the end of an era. All these guys are are going out the door, and Giovanni Bernard's been a guy that was fun to watch. Did the move surprise you? Sands, did it did it did it surprise you at all that they made this move at this stage of the offseason after free agency's pretty much settled? I don't think they're making a big move before the draft, but were you surprised to see him released today? Yeah, I was definitely surprised. Um really it's just because I thought this would happen in conjunction with a big signing or at least a mid-level signing, and instead it happens we're probably not at least I don't think we're signing anybody before the draft based off everything I've heard. Like we're not signing a Trey Turner or a Larry Warford that we need to make this space. So, I mean, I guess we could use the space for something in the future, just depth signings, but it really, I really thought it happened in conjunction with a signing. I thought once we got through free agency with him, I thought, okay, cool. We're going to keep geo, but we didn't. 
I agree with you that uh, he should go to Tampa, though. Uh, I think he could do awesome there, like Dion Lewis, Shane Vereen, all those little backs that Tom's always had. Of course, his dad lives in Miami. Wouldn't be surprising to see him go to Miami just to be somewhere that his dad can watch him play easily. Paul Daner Jr. wrote about it over at The Athletic that Gio has a lot of love for Miami and playing in front of his dad. It is an interesting move from a timing perspective and from a financial perspective. Paul Daner tweeting that, you know, this is already something the Bengals accounted for because they had previously asked him to take this pay cut. It doesn't necessarily signify that another another move is coming. That personally gives me a little bit of a headache because we know that they've got, you know, the seventh or fifth or whatever it is, most cap space in the NFL, depending on where the, the geo cut leaves them. And we know that they're going to eat that space with year one roster bonuses of extensions to players that don't need to have year one roster bonuses necessarily, but it's the way they operate. It's a cap philosophy thing. But to me at this point in the off season, it's, it's a sunk cost, right? You, you've invested all of this money in the running back position, unless you're getting something tangibly better for that money. And you're going to improve the team somehow with that money. Geo, what he brings as a pass protector, what he brings as a receiving back, what he brings even as a, a change of pace running back where he's still very effective running the football or can be at least. I just, what are you, what are you getting instead? If this is simply an accounting move to free up money, it's a move that at this point in the offseason just kind of annoys me. That's fair. It, it annoys the hell out of me because this whole offseason – should be about building around Joe Burrow. So if you're not taking Giovanni Bernard's money and turning it into a draft pick that can help build around Burrow and bring in a cheap rookie, right, a future asset, or taking that money and applying it to free agency, then what the hell are you doing? Because the 2021 Bengals roster is better with Giovanni Bernard in the running back room than him not in the running back room because he's a a great pass blocker, because he's a good leader, because of everything he brings uh, to this team And so how did they think that was going to go when they asked him to take a pay cut? They knew he wouldn't take a pay cut. His agent would probably say, yeah, why why would you take a pay cut and play for $2 million for the Bengals when, again, you can go to Miami or you can go to Arizona or you could go to Tampa. And I think all of those teams are going to be interested. I think he's going to have a really big market. Like, this is just a a roster downgrade. That's all it is. And it's nothing against Samaj P. Ryan or Travion Williams or even Joe Mixon. But Giovanni Bernard could contribute. And I, you described it perfectly, Jake. It's a sunk cost. And Sands, heck, you watch a lot more film than me. Do you think Gio brought a lot to the field last year? Because I certainly think he did. Absolutely. And pass protection especially. He's one of our best pass protectors. So I think uh, really for the protect Burrow cause, it's a pretty big hit because Mixon's – he's improved. He's more like fine in pass protection than bad now. But, I mean, Gio is awesome. I think he's like a top five – pound for pound running back in pass protection. Like nobody expects the five foot eight mustache man to deck them, but it, he did it all the time. And the thing about him versus P Ryan, where P Ryan's also a good pass protector. P Ryan's not going to run a Texas route out of the backfield, just, you know, out and then back in, which geo, I think he, he caught one of those against Pittsburgh. So really when you've got geo in there as a personal protector, it's kind of leaves some mystery where if you're going to sub mix it out and bring P Ryan in, it's like, okay, Maybe he runs a swing or a check and release, but he's not going to run anything more advanced than that. 
Yeah, and I think for Mixon, he's going to have to take a big step up mentally because that that's really the problem for him. He has the physical tools to pass protect. He's a big, strong guy. And when he when he's gotten his shoulder or his hands onto guys as blitzer sometimes, he's leveled some guys. He has some highlight reel blocks out there. But it, it's generally the mental mistakes. You know, he, he's seeing it wrong. He's releasing when he should be trying to get at least a little bit of contact on somebody. Uh, that's what will have to come along for Mixon. And for the Bengals, well, for, for what you're paying him, Joe Mixon should absolutely be an every down back for 90% of your drives. I will remember you. James, your favorite thing to do on this podcast at this point is sing. I think I'm a better singer than I am a podcaster. Just saying. A little Sarah McLaughlin action. Well, if you need a, if you need a pull... Your last poll, Sewell versus Chase. Here's a new poll. Singing or podcasting for James Rapine. We'll do some more podcasting with Mike Bengals underscore Sands and James, as long as he doesn't want to sing for the rest of the show. Coming up next. Rockauto.com. No, you talk about it all the time. Rockauto.com. I'm not going to sing it, and they don't have a jingle. But what you get with rockauto.com is consistency. They're a family business. They've been doing this for more than two decades, and they're going to save you money on your car parts. So right now the weather's warm. Maybe you're looking to upgrade something on your vehicle. Maybe it's just routine maintenance. RockAuto.com has you covered. They have auto parts for thousands of different car makes and models. And so you got to check them out. RockAuto.com. You can avoid going to the big box store and shop from the comfort of your own home. So again, rockauto.com. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Be sure to write Locked On in there. How did you hear about us, Buck, so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Let's keep things rolling with Mike Bengals underscore Sands. I'm not even going to try, Mike. I'm not even going to try to get the, the last name, uh, but make sure you follow him on Twitter. And Jake, who uh, crushed me, during the break there. Uh, but but let's dive into the the topic that I know Jake is loving right now during the pre-draft process. Team Sewell versus Team Chase. We'll get both sides of this, but uh, a birdie told me that you are Team Sewell. So let's start there because back-to-back guests now on Locked on Bengals, Team Sewell. First Dan Horde, now Bengals underscore Sands. Why Penny Sewell at five? So an elevator pitch. And first, I'll just preface with Chase is awesome, too. I'm not going to be upset about Chase. He's an awesome receiver. But really, I think I think what it really boils down to just in general is who do you think is the better prospect? At least that's what I've seen. It's just like if you think Chase is a better prospect, you want him. Personally, I think they're both great. But I do lean Sewell just in terms of what he could be at tackle versus what Chase could be at wide receiver. And I mean, it's close. I guess the pitch here is that there's a not in this draft, but just in general, there's a wide quantity of wide receivers. You look at the amount of wide receivers we could have gotten in free agency that could start for us versus the amount of tackles. Like there was Riley reef and Trent Williams. And then Daryl Williams didn't really hit the market and neither did Taylor Moten. So really I think what it comes, what it comes down to me is just like you look at the, draft history for both positions and for top five top 10 even first round picks offensive tackles a more safe pick than wide receiver and then you look at the quantity of wide receivers we could get both like right now there's still wide receivers that could start for us Demir Bird, Marquise Goodwin 
there's a few guys out there that they're fast. They can take the top off the defense. They can be outside a little bit, but uh, so we're not screwed. And then we have a chance to both get a wide receiver in round two. If we go that way, if the board doesn't fall that way, we're not in that bad of a position. And then free agency next year, there's probably gonna be a ton of wide receivers or always seems to be. And with all these seven on sevens and AAU type uh, football matches anymore. Wide receiver is something that develops a lot and you get three wide receivers on every college team now. So that's why you're getting all these wide receivers coming in versus two tackles and half of them aren't really taught that well on how to pass set because they're just trying to hide them. So just the quantity, the sheer quantity of wide receivers in general versus offensive tackle and just what I think boils down to is just I like Sewell more as a prospect and what he could be. I think that one of the more persuasive arguments for team Sewell outside of just everyone's going to have their own opinion on who's a better prospect. A lot of those opinions maybe don't know what they're talking about. And none of the opinions matter because none of them are in the Bengals front office or in an NFL front office of, of any sort. But the most persuasive thing to me is when you, when you take a broader view from just this draft, generally speaking, it is harder to draft quality offensive tackles than quality wide receivers. And every team is going to have different success rates, right? Some teams are going to be like the Steelers where, you know, they can draft Antonio Brown and he's going to turn into uh, an all pro and then a crazy person. But some teams are going to do a much better job. Like the Bengals actually for a really long time with Paul Alexander for all those years, they, they were on a roll. And then 2015 happens. It all kind of comes apart real quick. So certain teams are going to be better at it than, than other teams. And this year, certainly, it's very likely that there will be very good offensive linemen on day two of this draft. Does that mean the Bengals are going to pick the right one? I don't know. Can the team function without a wide receiver, without a Jamar Chase? I think you can make a pretty persuasive argument that if they draft Penny Sewell and come back and say Landon Dickerson is healthy enough, Landon Dickerson in the second round, well, now you can go implement that Frank Pollock wide zone with a healthy Joe Mixon and and take some of the load off of Joe Burrow. So when you start to look at it that way, I think that is the strongest argument for Team Sewell. Then the the other side, James, I know that that you want to get to here. I'll let you play the devil's advocate while I talk it up. Is that Jamar Chase has a special talent. So, James, I'll let you push back and let Mike answer your rebuttal here. So so give him some pushback. Well, obviously, you're right. It's debatable on who's the better prospect. And and that one, you you could go one way or the other. I do think when you look at like Chase versus last year's great crop of receivers. I think he's at the top of it. Sewell versus last year's great crop of tackles. I don't necessarily think he is at the top of it, but that that's just one comparing one class, right? So um, we could, we could debate that all day long. But to me, the Bengals are in this rebuilding phase where they have all these needs. They're trying to make up for still – the the Fisher and Abuehi draft, which we talked about before well, we went on air. But but that isn't just offensive line. See, when they took Jake Fisher, they passed on Tyler Lockett, the player they should have taken in round two. And no one talks about that. So that set them back so much that when Marvin Jones left and Mohamed Sanu left, well, then you band-aided up with Brandon LaFell. You don't get your guy in Will Fuller. 
in round one of the 2016 draft and it just snowballs. And then you take John Ross and it doesn't work out and they really haven't figured it out since. And now, by the way, AJ Green's gone. So T Higgins has made up for that some, but I think Jamar Chase is just such a, a game changer. So when you look at the Bengals trying to get back to 2011 to 2015, I think they need a game changer, one more on offense because they don't truly have a wide receiver one. This probably is their best chance to do so. And maybe Higgins does develop into that. And now suddenly you have this just crazy arsenal and embarrassment of riches for Joe Burrow uh, with, with Tyler Boyd in the slot. And then again, it's about value because if there was just two tackles in this class that I thought could start specifically a guard, because I think that's where Sewell would start day one. If I had to bet right now, if they pick him, then there's just a, you know, a bunch more than that. So the value part of it, like I don't, think there's a mock draft that's going to be accurate or realistic where there isn't a starting offensive lineman available for the Bengals at 38 that they feel good about. And to Jake's point, if they take so at five, I think it's probably more likely than not that it's an offensive lineman at the top of their board at 38 and in the not isn't receiver. The not is like edge, you know, or maybe Christian Barmore falls, which I don't think will happen or something like that. Right. So that would be it. It's this is a chance to not only get the offensive line help and fill that need value-wise, but get the game changer and almost skip a couple steps in the rebuilding process here as you try to get back to the playoffs. Yeah, I certainly understand that point. And our pre-draft evaluations for this year definitely signify there's going to be starting offensive linemen available at 38. Um, I do think that the best offensive lineman at 38 is going to be an interior guy. Because I don't think Alex Leatherwood's going to fall with those 38-inch arms. I mean, he's the only offensive tackle in the first round that has long arms. So I think he's going to go early enough. And I really like Dickerson. And, and I've been watching Wyatt Davis, and I really like him. So I think we end up, if we go just based off of who's the best offensive lineman available, it could be an interior offensive lineman. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with Chase Dickerson as a start. But then we still have the long-term need at tackle. And when you look at pre previous drafts for tackles, the best tackle last year, uh, the last good starting first-year first, first year starter offensive tackle went at pick 13. And I would hope next year we're picking later than pick 13. We might not be, but I would hope that we're like 17, 18, 20, 32, who knows. Um, but I think if we don't get our offensive tackle at five, we could hit at 38, but we'll pass up what I believe is a better player in the interior of the offensive line, which if we get a starting level tackle versus a pro bowl guard, you could argue the value, I guess. But yeah, I think, I just think when I'm thinking Sewell, I thinking five years, 10 years in the future, I'm not thinking about this next year where he's going to play guard. Cause I don't, there's a lot of tackles that start at guard. Laramie Tunsil started at guard and now he's an all pro left tackle. Uh, Whitworth started at guard. He's an all pro left tackle. So we spend one year with Sewell at guard, fine. And we just figure out some way to divvy up A.J. Green's way too many targets, whether it's T. Higgins taking more, more rush attempts. We sign some guy in the second-round pick, third-round pick, that could take some of those as well. But I do see your point because for one year, just next year, it's not going to be as pretty as it would be with Chase. With Chase, next year's roster fills out a lot better because we signed Riley Reef, where we didn't sign somebody like um, – Josh Reynolds to take those targets and be a starting level receiver real quick. Who was more valuable during their time? AJ green in his prime or Andrew Whitworth in his prime. 
I'd honestly call it about equal. I mean, <laughs> that's a hard one. They're both. That's what we're debating, talents, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be mad. We drafted AJ Green over Andrew Whitworth. No, I'm going to be happy. We got an AJ Green. And I think that distills some of the silliness of the teams at its core. Why I'm very close to the center. Why Mike can see both sides of the argument so well is that they're both really good players that probably both both make a pretty big impact. That's enough Sewell versus Chase for one episode. Honestly, that's enough Sewell versus Chase for my life. But we're not done with it. It will resurface. We will continue to talk about it. But coming up next, I've had a hard time figuring out what Luana Rumo wants to do on defense for the last uh, two years or so. Mike thinks he has an idea. We're going to talk a little bit about Bengal scheme stuff coming up next. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way for you to bet on whether Jamar Chase will be the pick at five or whether Penny Sewell will be the pick at five. If you're really confident that you know what the Bengals will do and Malik Wright is wrong and they're going to pick Kyle Pitts, you can get long odds on betonline.ag for Kyle Pitts to the Cincinnati Bengals at pick number five. You can also bet on the NBA. Major League Baseball has just started up. If you're a baseball person, the Reds are five and one as we record this episode. Go bet on the Reds to score another nine runs in a game. You can bet on hockey too if that's your thing. And Bet Online has you covered with a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use promo code LOCKDOWN when you sign up. That's 50% of a match in money on your initial deposit from betonline.ag. Use that promo code LOCKDOWN, betonline, your online sportsbook experts. I have said several times on this podcast that I don't really know what Luana Rumo is trying to do on defense. I've said that the players that Lou Anarumo has brought in suggest that he never wants to run man. But then you get a guy like Trey Waynes on one side of the field who, if you ask Minnesota guys, is best suited to playing press man. And then I am back to not really knowing what it is exactly that Lou Anarumo wants to do. We heard from inside the organization that there were major communication issues from the positional coaches in the def- at each level of the defense. We heard that, you know, players couldn't get a good handle on what Lou wanted to do, even in the building. But Mike, you've been watching this team. Obviously, you have better recognition when you're studying tape than many fans do. What is it? Could you describe for me? What is it that Lou Anarumo wants to do on defense? So he definitely wants to be one high, gapped out. He wants to have every gap covered, have a safety down in the box. I mean, most snaps he's playing cover three or cover one, which is one high safety and then pretty much just either man or zone. Other than week 17 against Baltimore, where he played 60% too high and Baltimore ran for 400 rushing yards because why are you playing too high against the most rush-heavy team in the league? I don't know. But... So he wants to play one high, one safety high. Jesse Bates, he has the safety for it. And really, I think you can, he was a DB coach. You can give some credit, not all of it, to, to Bates becoming a more complete player to Anarumo as something good for him. I know most people don't like him at all, so you don't have to. But uh, they let him play one high. They let him roam back there from sideline to sideline, what he's best at, range. And then it's just cover three and cover one. And I think with our signings were still going to stay mixed. I don't think that um, Cheeto is going to end up being just a zone corner. I heard that sometimes, but when I watch him, 
really a lot of cover three anymore is man on deep from the corners anyway. You just start with a zone drop and you play off. You can play off man and just react to it. And I think he does a really good job playing off catch man um, against wide receivers. I saw him lock up Kenny Galladay a bit when I was watching tape on him. And then Trey Wayne's he's better at being physical pressing and you can do that from cover three. So really he's going to probably try to be a mix of zone and man again, play one high safety, sometimes get into two high stuff, but I don't know what I really think Lou's problem is that he doesn't him or the D line coach. I don't know who was in charge. They don't draw up pressures that well. They had a few really nice ones, but I mean, they were drawing up, creepers which is a four-man rush with somebody coming either a linebacker or a defensive back and a defensive lineman dropping and they were dropping carl lawson out of those guys which is our only real pass rush threat it's like why are you dropping carl lawson to bring mckenzie alexander on a pass rush and offensive tackle picks it up and now the quarterback's got all day to throw so i think the defensive line coach change could help that mckenzie alexander or uh, sorry mike hilton is a much better pass rusher from the slot I think he does a fantastic job timing up snaps and he should get some free runs at the quarterback if we give him enough pressures. But really just what I think of Lou Anaruma's defense, it's a four-man rush, really. We don't bring a lot of pressure outside of... And a, a creeper is like a pressure, but we're still staying safe and into a coverage shell with every seven guys still dropping and only rushing four. And then he wants to be one high. Jesse Bates usually high safety and a mix of man and zone. I don't think it's super complicated. What I think Lou's problem is that, one, he doesn't drop the pressures, and then the other problem that I've seen is sometimes I don't think he understands game management that well, or maybe it gets past him. Uh, the Browns game, the biggest example, we moved to a cover one, middle of the field safety, right after uh, Phillips got beat twice already by uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and then where's Mayfield go? Same place. Donovan Peoples-Jones has taken Phillips' back behind the woodshed so he just throws it up to him again and he has no help because we moved to cover one to take away the middle of the field with 15 seconds left we gotta be taking away the sidelines and deep yeah that that's a good one and that i witnessed that in person and that was uh that, that was a brutal one to watch baker mayfield complete what was it 22 of 23 and just carve up uh the the defense you mentioned mike hilton and pressures and i think that a lot of fans look at Hilton and partially because it's his pedigree from the Steelers, but they're really excited about his addition, but he's not necessarily going to play a bunch of slot corner necessarily. You can use him all over the field. Do you trust Lou Anarumo to, to use his new toy the right way and get the most out of Mike Hilton? I won't understand why we signed Mike Hilton if we're not going to bring him on blitzes and pressures. Um, I'll be very lost at that point. I think I think the reason we changed defensive line coaches is because I mean just a working theory is that I think he was helping design those and we weren't happy with them. So we bring in the guy from Clemson from Miami. Miami did a lot of cool stuff, uh, putting five guys on the line to dictate pass protection and working from there. So I think we got a guy that can really draw these things up and help out. But yeah, if uh, we sign Mike Hilton and we just use him as a zone dropper and man-to-man cover guy, I'm going to be more lost than I was at this point. The other thing that I think is worth mentioning is Mark Duffner is said to be their guy for drawing up those third down pass rush packages. And he's still there. So was there any difference on third downs in specific? Because they seem to like 
what Duffner brings in terms of experience. And, and that was his reported role primarily on game days. That shoots a little bit of a hole in the theory, but <laughs> um, the third down, we did have some interesting pass rushes on third down. And really, I mean, when it comes to third and short, everybody in the league is going to play man because you're not just going to give up the short yard gain. So that's fine. When it gets to third and long, I mean, I don't have a chart or anything in front of me. I wasn't super thrilled with the pressure designs or what we did in those, especially you guys remember the Colts game where we kept dropping eight, pulling an extra guy out. So there's been problems with it, but he's got a year in the system. He has a new defensive line coach to work with. So I think it's all a really collaborative effort and just changing one guy could make the difference here. But yeah, I mean, not great that we have the same guy drawing up these creepers with Carl Lawson dropping into zone coverage, but well, Carl Lawson isn't on the team anymore. So we'll that's see right. if that's Trey Hendrickson or if that's Sam Hubbard or if that's Khaled Kareem or some rookie, because I think we can all agree that they need a little bit of help and depth along that defensive line. When you describe it that way as just continuing to be a, a single high safety team, I think that does make a lot of sense. What confuses me is, is just like you said, the the situational stuff that, that seems to get away because yeah, you're absolutely right. Like the, the gist of it is they want to leave Jesse Bates high. They've got a strong safety who is not a too high safety in Von Bell for the most part. And they've gotten rid of Sean Williams who could play some too high and had the versatility to drop down into the box. So it does make a lot of sense when you when you put it that way. They they can let Trey press out of cover three or cover one looks. I just I wonder if they're a little bit behind the times, you know, in, in trying to do this Seattle cover one, cover three thing that maybe the NFL at this point has just figured out. And I guess we'll find out pretty quick this year if if it gets exploited again. Mike, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate you coming on breaking down some film, breaking down your stance on Team Sewell and weighing in on Giovanni Bernard. And we look forward to your next film thread on whoever it is that you're going to take a look at next. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Uh, Should be coming soon. It'll be Alabama center Landon Dickerson. One of my favorite guys in this draft. The, The cartwheels, man. I mean, I already liked him enough, but the cartwheels just sell the personality so well. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We're back tomorrow with the weekend mailbag. Until then, Bengals fans, a day and have a good one.